Hello and thank you for joining us for our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I appreciate you tuning us in today that God may speak to you through his word and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth, that you'll be blessed and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. So as Andrew was saying, uh, Greg, Pastor Greg has felt this year that unity is a huge uh, theme for us this year as a church. Um, and as most of you know, I've been in YWAM doing the School of Biblical Studies and learning. <laughs> uh, I'm going to really regret that I showed that video. <laughs> um, and God is showing me a lot of just really cool things, not just uh, through his word, but through um, just relationship with people and um, even just like revealing things about myself that I didn't really totally fully understand. Um, and through that, I've really come to understand that God has given me such a passion and a love to see unity in the American church, and more specifically, the rural, rural churches in America. 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, in context... <laughs> Paul is talking about one specific church. But another way that we can look at this too is the fact that Polson Foursquare Church is just the finger or the toe of a larger body of Bible-believing churches, not just in America, but around the world. So my passion is to see rural churches unified and helping one another instead of competing against each other. I want to see churches in America unified and people of the older and younger generations coming together, working together, and being the body of Christ together. So with that, the question arises, like, how do, how do I accomplish that? Or better yet, how do we accomplish that? There's a lot of different ways that we could go, but one specific area that I want to look at today is something called intergenerational cooperation. <laughs> Big word. <laughs> and essentially, what is stopping us from participating in this? Or what is, is causing us to kind of take it slower and maybe not embrace it as much? Now, again, what the heck is that word? It simply means working together, uh, separate generations coming together despite their differences and working together towards a common goal. In other words, boomers, Gen Xers, working together, collaborating with millennials and Gen Zers to continue, <clears throat> to continue building and expanding the church with the ultimate goal of, completing, uh, of fulfilling the Great Commission. And I believe that this is something that we as a church actually do pretty well. Um, but it never hurts, never hurts to have a good reminder. We just finished going through the Pentateuch, so Genesis, oh, see, now I can't remember all of it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers Deuteronomy, look at that. <laughs> um, and with Leviticus through Deuteronomy, it is all, Deuteronomy in particular is God reminding his people of where they've come from. So it's good to have reminders. And I think sometimes, especially in 
small rural churches, it's very easy to get stuck in the same patterns and the same routines, even as the world around us is changing. I want to read a passage from a book by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. In the opening of his book, he's telling the story of two pastors. He says, one night after a long day of meetings, an older pastor let out a heavy sigh. He was nearing retirement, and we were working together on a project that was supposed to reorganize an entire denomination in order to help our church better minister to the changing world. And that changing world weighed on him. He remembered well how not that long ago life was different. He swirled his drink and said to me, you know, when I began ministry in church in Alabama, I never worried about church growth, worship attendance, or evangelism. Back then, if a man didn't come to church on Sunday, his boss asked him about it on work, at work on Monday. Socialists and theologians referred to the recent past period as Christendom. The 1700-long-year era where Christianity was prevalent was, a prevalent was at the privileged center of Western cultural life. Christendom gave us the blue laws, the Ten Commandments in schools. It gave us under God and the Pledge of Allegiance and exhortations to Bible reading in national newspapers. He says, I have a copy of the Los Angeles Times from December 1963 that has stories on the Warren Commission, the 9,000-member 9, Hollywood Presbyterian Church, and a list of daily Bible readings from, for the upcoming week. Can you even imagine the Los Angeles Times exhorting people to read their Bibles today? It was a day, <clears throat> it was the day when everything, where every city father laid out the town square with the courthouse, the library, and the first church of blank, within the center of the city. For most of us, these days are long gone, and for some of us, that's good news. When cities are now considering using eminent domain laws to replace churches with tax revenue generating big boxes stores, when Sundays are more about soccer and Starbucks than about Sabbath, when Christian student groups are getting de-recognized on university campuses, when the fastest growing religious affiliation among young adults is none, when there is no, <clears throat> when there is no moral consensus built on Christian tradition, even among Christians, when even a funeral in a conservative beach town is more likely to be a Hawaiian-style paddle-out than a, the gathering than a gathering in a sanctuary, than Christendom as a, mark of, as a mark of society has clearly passed. We live in a culture now where the virtual world is competing with the physical. People would much rather stay at home and watch church than come to the physical location. Now God has created us for community. And the goal of our online presence here at Pulson Foursquare is to encourage, engage, and invite. And I want to thank Kat for that. She really helped me put my thoughts together on that one. <laughs> so Kat, if you're watching, thank you. 
online church will never be a replacement for in-person church. However, I don't want to, I don't want to make people who watch online feel like we don't understand either. We also understand that some, of, some people online just can't make it because of health issues um, or they don't live in our state uh, or simply it's just they live too far away and don't have a ride or they work on Sunday mornings. But I just want to take a moment and say, if you are able, I want to encourage you to come. Join us on a Sunday morning or even find a location in your local area to get plugged into. Paul says in Romans 1, 11, 12, 1, 11 through 12, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. When we come together as a body, it is an opportunity for us to encourage one another, to help each other get through life because life is difficult and life is messy. And then in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is such an importance in being community. God, again, created us for community. In 1971 and 1972, secular and Christian media exposure caused the Jesus movement to explode across the United States, attracting evangelical youth eager to identify with the movement. The Shiloh Committees and the Children of God attracted many new believers with, while many other communes and fellowships sprung up. Explo 72 was an event organized by Campus Crusade for Christ, held at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, and involved su such conservative leaders as Bill Bright and Billy Graham. Many of the 80,000 young Jesus people attended Explo 72 discovering for the first time these and other traditional avenues of Christian worship and experienced for the first time and for the ugh, sorry and for the first time they felt that church was actually relevant to them although explo 72 marked the high water mark of the media interest the Jesus movement continued at a grassroots level with smaller individual groups and communities. The movement began to subside largely in the late 1980s, but it left a major influence on Christian music, youth, and church life. This had a profound mark on Christian music and worship music. It's why there's so many different genres today. And it's all because Churches and organizations came together to make, it to make it possible, came together to make this possible. All were working together, the older generation listening to the heart of the younger, and the younger generation gleaning wisdom from the older. And kind of in the same way, you can almost see social media becoming another avenue for something like this as well. I don't want to get too much more into that.
Hey, Andrew, could you grab me some water? I don't know how Greg, like, preaches so long without any water. I feel so parched. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is that times and culture are changing. More and more people are simply not coming to church because they don't understand how church and even the Bible fits into fits or is relevant to their lives today. And I also, I want to make this very, very clear. As believers, we are not to conform to the culture around us. If we look at Leviticus through the majority of the Old Testament, we see the whole reason Israel goes through all these hardships and issues and exiles is because they conform to the culture around them. Instead of obeying God and following the laws that he set in place, laws that separated them from the culture around them, laws that would make them holy and separate and set apart. We should be close enough to the culture that we influence it, but not close enough to be influenced by it. Daryl Guder says, if Western societies have become post-Christian mission fields, how can traditional churches become missionary churches? This Thursday, I'll be holding the flag for Afghanistan at our international night at the YWAM base. This country is, people are being killed on the spot for being a Christian. We are so blessed to live in a nation where church, where the church is established and it's established well. And we face hardly any real persecution compared to that of other nations. America doesn't have a church planning problem. We have a growth problem. As as Bolsinger said, as, as he said, the fastest growing religious affiliation among young adults is none. So that begs the question, how do we reach the next generation? So my first point is towards the older generations, uh, mainly boomers and Gen Xers, because right now in church, that is the majority that makes up church leadership. And that point is the older generation must raise up and encourage young leaders. Those of you that are older leaders in the church, this is part of your calling, to encourage and lift up young ones because they will take your place one day. It's as simple as grabbing coffee or lunch one afternoon or weekend and building relationship, investing in relationship. The dominant factor in churches where young people are stepping up and taking responsibility is that current leadership is learning to let go, change their role, and realize that they don't have all the answers. We need to allow the next generation to lead the way they feel God is calling. COVID showed small churches more than ever the importance of young leaders. We can't just disciple young leaders. We have to release them and allow them to do ministry the way that God is leading them, which I realize can definitely be a scary thing (laughs) because one, we don't like change. Yeah, and that's mainly it, we don't like change. Change is hard. (laughs) 
Um, now, if everybody would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me, I just want to point out some key verses here. And while you're doing that, I'm going to take a drink of water. The first verse I want to look at is 2 Timothy 1.3, which says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, conscience as I remember you consistently in my prayers day and, night and day. And then 5 through 14 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I, am remi I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us the spirit of fear, not, wow, that is, that is heresy right there. <laughs> For God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of the works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has, made, has, been, made, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolishes death and brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until, the day, until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then in 2, 1 through 7, again, you see Paul just encouraging Timothy. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Timothy is mentioned in seven of Paul's 13 letters. To me, this screams the word unity. They work together, and Timothy eventually ends up leading the church in Ephesus. And many scholars agree that 2 Timothy is, is likely Paul's last letter. In it, we see Paul knows that his time as a leader in the church is coming to an end. So in his, letter, in his last letter, he passes the torch on to Timothy, and he encourages and encourages charges Timothy to keep the torch lit. The title of my sermon is Pass, uh, Passing on the Torch. Um, but there's also keeping it lit. We have to keep the torch lit as the younger generation. We can't let it go out. And with that, my second point today is to the younger leaders, millennials, Gen Zers, the younger generation must step up. 
It's plain and simple. We need leaders from my generation and Generation Z to actually step up. The previous generations before us have laid the groundwork. The foundation is set, and now it's our turn to start doing the work. What I said earlier about more and more people not coming to church, those are people from my generation, from the Gen Z generation, and on. Those are my friends, our friends, and their families. We talk about how there are no people close to our age in our churches, but my question to you is, what are you doing about it? Are you inviting people? Are you investing in your friendships in a Christ-like way? And maybe the biggest question is, how is your own personal relationship with Christ? And I think these are fair questions, and believe me, they are just as much directed towards me as they are to everyone else. And I think these can even be applied to the older generation as well. We've all heard the sayings, and maybe even use them. It's so hard to find young leaders. Why won't you step up and take their place in the church like we did when we were younger? Or my personal favorite, what's wrong with kids these days? <laughs> I have used that, and it made me feel very old. <laughs> um, and I know these might come off as like difficult questions, but these difficult questions do need to be asked. We want, if we want to see change in our church, we have to, it has to start with us. <clears throat> okay, now a little bit of history. Because if there's anything that I've discovered in SBS, history totally opens up the gospel and the Bible so much more. Understanding what these people were going through when these were written is so, so important. So we're going to talk about Ephesus. Ephesus was the largest and most impressive, one of the mo largest and most impressive cities in the ancient world. It was a political, religious, and commercial center in Asia Minor. Ephesus was an important seaport. And at the time of Paul, it was probably the fourth largest city in the world, with a population of 200, 250,000. The people would likely be practicing dualism, which is the belief that the, essentially the physical world is bad and the spiritual world is good. And some would lean so heavily on the dualism side to either complete self-denial, which included food and water um, and self-mutilation, or completely self-indulge basically do whatever you want because the physical is bad anyway. <clears throat> there was also some Jewish mysticism, oof, words, <laughs> which relied heavily on the worship of angels and spiritual beings. And finally, the main goddess of Ephesus, which was, uh, which was Artemis. And this was Ephesus, Ephesus's, uh, wow, <laughs> bread and butter. <laughs> Smiths in the city made tons of money off of making statues of the goddess. Ephesus was the center of the cult of Artemis. The worship of Artemis was so prevalent that her image was minted on silver coins. Um, 
Add this on top of how much the blacksmiths were making, and you can see how, through economic means, the religion of Artemis became an indispensable pillar in the cultural structures and life, and not just in Ephesus, but in Asia. And therefore, a crucial factor in the lives of the individual whom Christianity hoped to convert. Now, there's one last thing. I think we're all adults here, so. One thing that really hammers this home and will help us understand what exactly Timothy was dealing with is talking about um, the temple worship which to Artemis, which was temple prostitution. Um, they would call them holy women. Artemis was seen as a source of fertility and abundance. So a free and actual sexual life with the holy women was part of the sacred male, was a sac part of the sacred rites. And even male counterparts of these holy women also practiced the sacred rites. This was normal to them. In fact, most people wanted to be a holy woman or a holy man because it was seen as such an honor to be working in the temple of the great Artemis. This is the culture that Timothy was leading in. Timothy is much like us, still learning, still growing in his faith. And we can imagine that he is likely feeling discouraged because his church is the church that he's overseeing has fallen to false teachings, sexual immorality, quarreling, and there's even people there that are questioning his authority because of his age. This would be discouraging to anyone, and now you add on the fact that his mentor is seemingly telling him that, hey, I'm actually not going to get out of jail this time, alive, so yeah, time for you to step up. <laughs> I would be totally shocked if Timothy didn't let fear seep in a little bit. Imagine that you get a new job and you've never done it before. You go through your first week of training and then the manager hands you the keys on your second week and says, okay, it's yours, good luck. It's essentially where Timothy was at this point. He was under a lot of pressure. But Paul, Paul comes in and reminds Timothy to fan into flame his faith in God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And this leads me to my final point, which is a theme that I see in both generations, and that's fear. Third point is believers, young and old, can't choose fear. I believe that this is probably the biggest hurdle for a lot of young leaders. It's the fear of not living up to the expectations that we've either put on ourselves or that churches have put on us or that other people have put on us. I want to read 1 Timothy 8 through 14 again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God, who saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave, gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested, <clears throat> manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit that is entrusted to you. Timothy at this point has been, has journeyed with Paul many times. And I'm sure many times he has wondered why Paul was okay with all this suffering. Timothy was with him seeing him being beaten, mocked, scorned, thrown into prison multiple times. But here Paul was telling him that it was for the gospel that he suffered. And again, he makes it clear that he's not ashamed because he knows that the God that he believes, that he is convinced that he is able to guard him until the Lord calls him home. Paul is again telling Timothy and giving Timothy reasons not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to be encouraged. I want to look at the word convinced. What is the, what's the significance of, of Paul's use of that word? Oxford defines convinced as completely certain about something. Paul is completely certain that God is doing that, that who God, ooh. Paul is completely certain in who God is during this time. And this would surely encourage Timothy to see that God was in control regardless of his circumstance. Now, I want to take a look at the definition for the word fear. In almost every definition, actually, I'll just read them. An un, so fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. A feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety and well-being of someone. And then the likelihood of something unwelcome happening. The reality is that fear is the unknown. That fear is actually a choice. We can choose to feel fear in a situation that hasn't happened yet, or we can choose to be completely certain that God is in control of every situation, past, present, and future. To our older leaders, I know that it's difficult and scary to let go and see things change so drastically, but we have to trust that God is speaking to the younger generation even when it looks so different from what we did. And that's also including me as well, because I don't understand Gen Z. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then to our younger leaders, to our younger leaders in generations, I know how scary it is can be it can be to step into something new and walk with God in faith. Especially in what he's calling you to do. But I want you to know that, that as from the older generation, we are here for you. 
One thing I didn't mention is how important it is for you, the younger generations, to glean and learn from the older generations. Seek counsel from them. Don't be afraid to ask to be mentored. Timothy was mentored. Timothy asked Paul. As leaders, we want to see you grow in your calling. And if you don't know what that is, then we would love to pray with you. We must stand together as a church united, young and old, and say no to fear because ultimately Jesus is over everything. He is the one over our fear and anxiety. And I want to invite Carter back up. He's going to lead us in one last song um, that helps us remember that. Because when we do feel that fear and anxiety coming over us, we have to remember that God is over that as well. He is the one that will lead us and the church in the years to come. So yeah, uh, that's it. I'm gonna pray. So Father, I just thank you. Father, I thank you that you are over everything. Father, that I, I thank you that you are leading this next generation into, into the promised land, Father. I pray that as a current young leader in the church, I pray that all the leaders in the church just look and find someone to connect with, to build relationship, to get to know, to, to pray for, to, um, to just walk with. Father, I thank you for all the work that that the older generation has put in to your church and all the hours and days and nights that they have poured into your body, Father. And Father, I pray that you would just encourage the young people to step up and take their place in leadership as well as time goes on. Father, we praise you and we love you. Jesus' name.
song for all eternity. Jesus Christ is Lord. Who can rival our resurrected King in one moment? He brought death to its knees. All the power and all authority to one name over everything, one name over everything, Jesus over everything, He reigns song for all eternity, Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing Jesus over everything, He reigns forevermore. Our song for all eternity, Christ our Lord Over fear, over shame, over all anxiety, over troubles and pain, over sickness and disease, for he reigns on the throne all praise to him alone one name over everything over death and all sin over hell over the grave darkness bow demons flee at the mention of his name for he reigns on the throne all praise to him alone one name over everything, one name over everything, Jesus over everything, He reigns forevermore, our song for all eternity. Christ our Lord, Jesus over everything, He reigns forevermore, our song for all eternity, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that you are over everything. Father, that you are over all the leaders here. Father, that you will lead us into this new territory of, of doing church, doing church in a, new, in a new way. Father, I thank you for the leaders that are here currently, and I thank you for 
the leaders that you will bring over time. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.